So this morning, this is our last full days, and first, in a way, on this uh, last full day, I would encourage you to stay here today instead of being tomorrow. Tomorrow will come soon enough. But of course, as we're going to leave tomorrow, there is a little the impetus, you know, of moving. And so one thing that you can be sure of is that you will be able to leave tomorrow, which means you don't have to worry about it today. At 7.20 tomorrow, there will be the, manage, the coordinator and then they will be explain how to organize the leaf share, the taxi. Don't worry, you can get out. So today, just be here. Just enjoy being here with the nature, with the schedule, with the support of the group. So really kind of uh, being here. And then tomorrow, everything will be organized, explained very well at 7.20. And also, Tomorrow at breakfast, uh, the silence will be broken. You'll be able to talk to each other, to share. Then the silence will briefly come back. And then again, it will be totally open for lunch. We will also have a sharing. So after all this time in silence, you will really have an opportunity to share, to get to know each other. And one of the things about the, the silence, which personally I find interesting, and that's why I would recommend for you to continue today too, is the fact that we have so many ideas about people when we're in silence with them. <coughs> and we think they're like this and they're like that. And what's nice about the last morning is that often they're not at all like we thought. <laughs> So tomorrow everything will be revealed <laughs> about that. But otherwise, I mean, it's normal. I think our, um, as human beings, our body-mind actually adapts. And for example, in Korea, where we used to sit for three months, then the first two weeks were really hard, really difficult. Then the next two months, he was like, I want to do this forever. And then the last two weeks, we were ready to go. And then the master generally said, you know, you cannot go until you are awakened. And then everybody was gone. <laughs> and I think on the seven-day retreat, you'll have just a shorter version of that. You know, the first day or two are a little more difficult. Then we get into the rhythm. And then... The last day, there is a little like kind of uh, this energy seeping toward tomorrow. But still, try, you know, to, to be here as much as we can, of course, considering the condition, and really benefit from the silence, the schedule, the support. And then again, I wanted uh, to open this, because this is our last uh, instruction. So I wanted first to open it if there are any questions or any comments about the practice. Yes. There is something I need to ask before I leave. It, it, is, it is about practice. Um, to put it into um, 
bring to where I'm trying to get at, there used to be a very interesting advert. Uh, and what you, I think this takes place in New York. You see a, a young woman with a uh, violin case, and she stops an old man and she says, can you tell me the way to Carnegie Hall? And the old man says, practice, practice, practice. I mean, some of you, I'm sure you know that Carnegie Hall is a concert hall. And um, I was very touched what you said about your teacher. I've heard you say that before. Um, I, I picture this old man, very humble and compassionate, saying that we must practice until we die. Now, what does practice mean to me? Because I've heard the word used all throughout my life, you know, parents, teachers, practice, practice. But it's always practice in order to get somewhere. But what I'm understanding is the practice, uh, in order to understand, understand it in a language that I can understand, is being present. I think that's what it means to me, just being, being present. And I have seen people four members of my family in their last moments dying. And I know that there is no fear reaching out for a book to find out what does this master say about it, what does Jesus say about it. The way that I understand it is just being in the here and now. Um, I don't know if you could, mm -hmm. if you're almost grateful if you could add something to that. So, uh, yes, of course, I think this can be uh, it could be like a short kind of way to, uh, to look at it, that practice is being here. And then we could add that practice is being here with as much wisdom and compassion as we can have, considering the condition. So in a way, it's kind of like we can be here in many different ways or not here, also in many different ways. And so, yes, we try to be more in our experience, more present to what is happening. But I would say, I would add with a certain quality that actually there is this aspiration. Can I, in this moment, be present in a stable and open way to the degree I can? Because again, it depends. And I would say, if I can connect that to the practice, the formal practice, I think we have to see that practice, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow morning, is very much about all aspects of our life. That, as in the Eightfold Path, you have vision, action, thought, livelihood, speech, meditation, etc., effort. And so I think is that it's practicing in all aspects of our life. And so, you know, it's bringing the practice to everything we do, everything we are, but in a way which is not self-conscious, but in a way which helps us to penetrate in the experience. And in terms of the what I call the formal practice. Tomorrow we'll talk more about the informal practice. Formal practice, which is the practice we do here, walking, sitting, and whatever we do outside of the meditation hall. 
to me, I think the, the, there is a, a moment in practice when we go from wanting something specific from the practice, expecting it, waiting for it. And I think often I find that we're sitting in meditation waiting for something special to happen. So often we are more in waiting for that to happen than actually in the doing of it. And to me that's what I learned, is actually just to practice for its own sake. And I think it's the same with the questioning. Often because it's a form of questioning then there is a bit, you know, at one point I will find an answer. What I think actually is the answer to the question is in the questioning itself. And what we're trying to develop is just a taste for questioning. For questioning being a question for ourselves, being a question in daily life. But again, back to not any questioning, a wise, compassionate questioning, a stable and open questioning. Yes. Um, uh, going back to this question a little bit, <clears throat> um, I, I feel I'm quite my I've been to Guy House quite a few times over the years. Um, I find it out there hard to uh, practice in quite the same way as far as meditation goes, just other attacks. But I also play guitar, and I, I know very well when I teach guitar <coughs> for the student. I tell them, I don't force practice, but if they don't pick that guitar up every day for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen, twenty minutes, or not necessarily every day, but just when they can pick it up for five or ten minutes, I find that the same as sitting, or <coughs> reading a text, or doing pujas, or something, however. As long as you keep returning, coming back to something. For me, that's the practice, just to keep me, bring me back to the silence. <clears throat> it doesn't last long, but it just reawakens each time I do it. Well, and I know why I'm doing it. I'm not trying to get anywhere, because I'm there already. Um, but it, it helps. Without that practice, if I have a student that can't play a chord within a week, I know he hasn't practiced, hasn't done it, and there's, there's not going to be any future for him to play guitar apart from just doing what he does. But um, so that that's it. Just just coming back to that and just trying to when you get time, when you feel like you do it. You know. Yeah, I think you see what we. Um doing here is that it's kind of like a, what I would call an intense practice period. And then, because we do an intense practice period, we can experience a meditation in a different way sometimes. And sometimes we feel more possibly depth, or more calm, or more openness, or more clarity. And so we have to be careful that when we go home, we don't expect, oh, I must have exactly the same calm, clarity, etc. I develop in Gaia House. But it doesn't mean that there is not a value 
in sitting or walking or lying down or standing, doing formal practice in daily life. But what I found, with, uh, as you were mentioning, is that when we do it in daily life, we have to make it not like a special endeavor. Like, I'm going to crank this amazing practice, which is going to be just like when I was at Gaia House, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to sit for not even 30 minutes. I'm going to sit for 45 minutes. And it's very rare that you can crank up enough energy to have, you know, and then you become a little kind of, how can I crank up the energy to do it instead of the doing of it? And so I would say we do it actually for three reasons, three, I think, main ground. This, if we want to do formal practice daily, is we do it to stop because there is lots of movement in our daily life. So in a way, here, I know we've done lots of stopping, but it's kind of so that we can impregnate ourselves with the possibility that yes, at time we can stop and be and we don't have to act to exist. Because I think often there is this identity with action. Another reason we, we do it is to remember our value, remind ourselves, I value this, I value wisdom, I value compassion, because sometimes we forget because we get a little confused or lost or agitated. And also to cultivate concentration and inquiry so that we can have that as the background of our day. So I think in a way today, trying to cultivate uh, the practice in whatever way we can and that being the ground for the practice we will have when we go home. Yes. I was um, picking up on what you said about meditating for quarter, uh, half an hour, three quarters of an hour. I just wanted to um, <coughs> share how, in my experience, meditation can be um, rather, as you talked about, a session meditation can be rather like we talked about um, your three-month your um, session, um, where the first bit is the most difficult and then it gets more rewarding. Um, so since I've been retired, I find that it suits me to meditate for an hour because when I meditate for two half hours, I have two bits of unrewarding but more difficult. Um, when I meditate now, I find it easier to maintain that because I find it more rewarding. Yeah, you see, what is very interesting here is that you point out that there are different types of people. I have a friend who is just like you. If he, he needs to sit an hour before he kind of, you know, he feels it really gets going. And me, actually, I would be the opposite. You know, personally, I prefer the 30 minutes. Stephen prefers the 45. And I think it's for each of us to find what's the length that works for us. Because some people, actually, they do the opposite of what you described. They start good, and then <laughs> it cannot fade. <laughs> some other, it's in the middle. You know? And so I think it's very important to find what's my style, what is useful for me, what fits. It's not because my friend just sit for 10 minutes, or my other friend sit for an hour. 
I think it's, it's to see what works for me. Because that's really what I found if I kind of talk to my friend, you know, and I can see they're very different and I'm very different from them. You know, once there was this, uh, we all sat together, 30 teacher, meditation teacher, including Joseph Goldstein and Christina Feldman, people who really are into sitting long hours. And we would sit whenever we wanted in that place. But one sitting was nine o'clock. We could all join together and sit. And I called it the chicken sit. <laughs> because for me, I felt like the chicken, which was... I was going to be the f first one living, you know. So I would kind of generally be a good girl and last an hour. But after that, I was, you know, forget it. You can stay there. <laughs> I need to go and walk. Because they would sit for hours. They really like, you know. So for me, for, me, for all, of, all the rest, because they were all into sitting long time, but I felt I was the only kind of the chicken, kind of getting out the first. So again, we have to see what fits for uh, what conditions. And so, if there is nothing else, I wanted to continue a little to look at what Stephen introduced yesterday, the listening meditation. And to see that actually we started with the breath, then we introduced the questioning, then we introduced the listening. And to see that we can do each of them on its own, or we can do them complementary. I think it's very important to see they're not opposed, but they can be complementary, but it doesn't mean one cannot just do them by themselves also, if that suits us. So you can just do the breath, if the breath suits you, or you can do the question, if that suits you, or you can do just listening, if that suits you. Or you can actually do the breath with a question. Or you can start with the breath and then go to the sound. Come back to the breath, go to the sound again. Or you can do the question. And actually you can have the question in the forefront and it's kind of like embedded in some awareness of sound, which actually often well, to me, that's what I found useful when I uh, encountered Vipassana, is that I found that just doing the question sometimes could be a little too intense. What is this? What is this? And it was kind of like there was a little intensity. And then when I embedded it, I learned to embed it in the, either in the breath or in the question. I found it became more grounded in a way, but it did, it did not take anything from the questioning. So I think it's for us to see, as I said before, none of these methods are sacred. None of them are better than others. But to see what one is useful at, at what time, because they have a slightly different effect if they suit us. So you have the breath. And again, I would not recommend it if you are asthmatic unless it works for you. So you have the breath, and generally that will calm you. Then you have the question. The question generally will give some alertness. It has this kind of way to make us a little more alert, a little more bright. And the listening as a way to open. This is a wide open concentration. 
Instead of the concentration being on a quite narrow focus, this is a wide open concentration. And so again, that brings its own effect, its own direction. So to see also, when we are in daily life, at times we might need more calm, and then we could use a breath. At times we might need more alertness, more directness, we could use a questioning. We need more openness, we could use a sound. So to see that each of them are tools to help us with our practice, informal, formal, in daily life. But another thing we've, uh, so today we could focus on the listening, again, if it suits you. But what I find interesting about the listening is that, in a way, again, you can do it in two different ways. You can just be listening, and then the focus can be the prominent sound. Not that you choose, oh, that's a prominent sound, that's what I'm going. Where is the next prominent sound? Oh, that's that. No, no, no. It's more where your attention goes. In a way, the sound that you hear the most, basically. And generally, that's where you will go. Your attention will be, because it's more evident. Often, that's where the attention goes. And then that sound, while it lasts, can be the focus. And then it goes, and then another sound comes to our attention. We stay with it then it goes. So then that would be an anchor. But also, what you can do is actually focus on the space in which the sound appears. And then you would have again a much more wide anchoring. So it's for you to see, does it help me more to focus on specific sound <coughs> or on the whole ambient on the whole environment in which the sound happens. Then again, with the sound, we can be, in terms of vipassana, we can notice two things, we can experience two things, that the sound appear and go, appear and go. So just that, being in tune with that process of change with the sound, but then another thing is that we can be aware if a sound continues for a while. So you have a sound which continues a bit. If we go inside the sound, we can experience that it changes within itself. So that you can have impermanence as coming and going, and you can have impermanence as changing within itself. So noticing these two aspects of impermanence in terms of sound. Another thing with sound is that they are unpredictable. Like the breath, sometimes we can make a little mechanical, we can control it. The question, we do the question, so there can be certain intensity. But with the sound, I mean, unless I cough on purpose, <laughs> I cannot predict if the bird is going to sing or is somebody is going to move or cough or somebody is going to through the corridor. And so this is what I think is very useful with this practice, is to be with what is unpredictable. 
So that we actually, as Stephen mentioned yesterday, we're waiting. But we're waiting for something which is unpredictable. And so we're listening. And so what we do when we cultivate listening meditation, we're actually cultivating receptivity. Because we just wait, we're kind of receptive to whatever comes. And then it can also, so it makes us more in tune with the fact things are unpredictable, but also is the way we relate to the sound. Because as I said yesterday, you know, we have contact. We hear a sound, and it could be you hear the tweet-tweet of the bird. Tweet-tweet-tweet. Or you might be somebody who comes regularly to Gaia House and is not so keen on the rooks. And you are oh, not the rooks again, those rooks. <laughs> or you could, uh, you know, you're sitting in meditation and suddenly I do the jukpi. <sighs> you know, it could be very pleasant. Or you're really getting on with your meditation, you know, and oh, not the jukpi yet, you know. So you could hear the same sound, and one could lead to unpleasant feeling tone, the other to pleasant feeling tone. And then generally we grasp and identify, I like it, I don't like it. And what is, I think, useful with the sound, because it's not dangerous. I mean, once we were in Italy, and we are sitting in meditation, doing listening meditation, was toward the end of the sitting, and I kept hearing this sound, because the window were open, it was uh, warm, aiuto, aiuto. I was, I mean, I could just hear sounds, but at the end I said, you know, what's happening? And they said, oh, somebody is asking for help. So I said, okay, let's go, let's go. <laughs> so somebody went to rescue him, he was lost in the forest, turning kind of bad. But outside of something like that, where we really need to know what's going on and what do I have to do. What can be interesting when we sit in meditation is can we listen to sound just as sound? Can we actually listen to the music of life? Can we listen like if we're listening to John Cage's famous piece, four minutes and a half, which are just silence? So wherever this is performed, you'll have different ambient noise, and that's the music of that piece. And so can we listen to the sound like that? Because often what we do is that we describe birds, rook, machinery, this, that, and another. I'm not saying that we stop perception, because generally, we per as soon as we hear the sound, we perceive. We, we know what it is most of the time. And that's why it's very interesting when there is a sound, we don't know what it is. I don't know if you noticed the other evening, for the last sitting, there was a strange sound. There was like a And I had no idea what it was. Was it the radiator? Was it this? Was it that? And then it's very interesting to see the mind want to know what it is. And at the same time, just to listen to the sound without giving any meaning. 
Can I just be with the sound as it arises? without describing, commenting, anything like that. So in that way, can we listen to the sounds in such a way that they're just arising and passing away? And we don't take them personally. The rooks, they're doing their noise just so that I cannot meditate. He's breathing heavily so that I cannot meditate. He does it or she does it on purpose. Most of the time, the sounds are not against us, or for us either. They just happen. So I think this listening meditation can help us to cultivate that presence of mind, really listening, really hearing the sound for themselves, that from our point of view. And then, Why I think this is essential is that then that can become a practice in our daily life in how we listen to others. How do we listen? And so often we listen and actually we're thinking of something I want to say which is so much more interesting and if only it could stop and I could say it, you know, this would be better. So we're not really listening. Or we listen, we look in the right direction and we are thinking of something else. And so when they ask us, what do you think, we have no idea. To me, this is the most fascinating. You know, somebody talks to you, you have the ears which work, and actually you have not heard it. And that's where you can see the difference between being conscious and not conscious in a way, mindful and not mindful. If you don't pay attention to what the person says, you actually can not hear it. I mean, sometimes people do it on purpose if people talk too much, but that's something else. So, or you can listen to somebody and you overreact to what they say. And to me, this is one of the wonderful practices in daily life. If I am with somebody, can I just listen to them? And they speak to me. And often if you do this, you can really have a dialogue with the person instead of having a fight of ideas, and instead each person contributing to the dialogue. Or what you might find is that if they speak to you, and you really listen, when it comes your turn to say something, what you say is so much more wise, compassionate, appropriate, and relevant. And so that's why I would suggest today that if it's a method which suits you, to cultivate that listening meditation, cultivating being open to the music of life, being with what is unpredictable, what is arising, passing away, in a receptive manner. So that's what I wanted uh, to say. Are there any questions about that or comments? So if uh, it's clear, then we can do it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.